0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Our text again this morning, after two weeks ago, we took a, a break last week for Father's Day, and our text this morning is again Proverbs 3, Five through eight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart that is present here be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know that over the course of the past two or three weeks, several of us have been spending scores of hours writing. And what we've been writing about is a conference that has turned into an annual conference called Revoice, Um, and it's a conference for Christians who are tempted by same-sex intimacy and effeminacy, those sins. And when the conference happened, it was very scandalous because all kinds of things were said that had never been said before in the history of of the Christian church, and certainly not in the time of the people of God of the Old Testament. But it was all presented as if it was rational and reasonable that the church had oppressed people of the LGBTQ minority, uh, that the church needed to reform herself by beginning to treat them properly. And the underlying premise was to treat those of those temptations properly is to talk about them a lot, bring them out in the open, you know, look at them, talk a lot about them bring them out in the open, look at them, talk. Did I say talk? A lot about them. And so under that premise is another premise, which is the way to finally stop persecuting and oppressing and bullying those of the LBGTQ minority is to remove their shame once and for all, to kill it. Okay? Okay talk a lot about it, bring it out in the open, have conferences about it, write about it. And so what happened was they talked a lot about it. Did I mention talking a lot about it? And you know what it is, right? It's a, 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 a group of sexual perversions, but it's an exclusive group because it doesn't include incest. Nobody, nobody's talking about incest. It doesn't include bestiality. It doesn't include pedophilia. So it's an exclusive group of sexual perversions. And that exclusive would talk a lot, did I mention? Talk a lot about it and remove that exclusive group shame. Okay? And so Missouri Presbytery had so many people yelling at them from across the country that they thought, well, you know, we better do something about this. So they wrote a 143-page paper and Andrew Dion and Andy Halsey, who's here in our congregation, and I have worked and worked and worked and worked and worked to take their paper and open up what they're actually saying. Because of course, it's hard to get any straight answer from anybody in the social media age. Everybody's writing for the audience. Everybody's arguing ad populum. Everybody's carefully crafting everything they say in such a way as to not offend anybody except stupid people. Now who are those stupid people? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So stupid people in the church often are those who trust in the Lord with all their heart and don't lean on their own understanding. Stupid people don't play in Peoria, and by that I mean when you read them, stupid people make you turn red in the face and embarrassed, because they're trusting the Lord with all their heart, not leaning on their own understanding, all the ways they're acknowledging him and he's directing their paths they are not wise in their own eyes, and so they're stupid people. Stupid people don't carefully craft their language and arguments in such a way as to appeal to Facebook, and that's why they're stupid. They're not politically correct. As a matter of fact, they're politically incorrect. And so I want to tell you the story I told our high school students in the first service. Two nights ago, uh, after a series of extremely heavy meetings, or one meeting that was extremely heavy of many hours... Mike and David and I met outside of his little red barn. It was dark. And as is often the case, I process my life through Mike Bowles. That's why you hear his name as often as anybody's name in these services. One of the reasons I use Mike is, and Mike, you might want to leave. Have you left yet? One of the reasons I use Mike is that Mike is my alter ego, He's like my opposite. He's who I want to be. I want to be like Mike. When he built our house, I started wearing Carhartt. And, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Because as I looked at myself and looked at Mike, I became more and more embarrassed of myself. My mother used to say when I was in high school, Who do you think you are? And I looked at Mike and I thought, Who do I think I am? Because I was always condescending to Mike. Well, you know, Mike. You know, the hick. You know, the the, the idiot savant with an emphasis on sometimes idiot and sometimes savant. you know. And listen, there was no place that it was more clear how stupid Mike was than when it came to homosexuality. Because Mike still kept talking about homosexuality as if it was something filthy to be ashamed of. Well, I knew better than that. I mean, I was world-weary. I'd lived in Boulder. You know I'd lived with gays, you know I I, I I done lived in Madison. One of our best friends was a lesbian in the church. And so along comes Mike, and Mike speaks in ways that at times are not i I would not say they're not politically correct. I would say they're hopelessly intractably. Unbelievably at odds with every inclination of the Western world. Cataclysmically, awfully politically incorrect. In other words, Mike kept using words of shame to refer to homosexual desires and those who practice them. And so I looked down on them because I'd learned back in 1976, for heaven's sakes, that you didn't do that. 74, 73, you know? I knew that we in the Western world for centuries had oppressed people of the homosexual orientation and that it was time to let them out of the closet. As a matter of fact, to pull them out And to act as if there was nothing wrong, and that homosexuality was just like any other oddity, although it had a certain sinful capacity. And so homosexuality and adultery and fornication, they were all just the same. All sins are equal. You know, I had all this down in my brain. And so you use language that did not offend the minority group, that you were seeking to show your enlightenment to, your evolution, your progressive, you, uh, you know, your, uh, you know your, your, uh, your cosmopolitan, urbane, Tim Keller-esque identity. You all with me? And then along comes Mike. And I'd done seen his house. And I'd done met his wife. And who would ever look to a man like that for his vocabulary? I mean, yeah, have him arrange everything with the bank. <laughs> you know, because that's the savant part. But certainly don't copy him on the idiot part. And I'd say ground zero, the idiot part, is the way he would speak about homosexuality. Are you all with me? But meanwhile, I was around a lot of doctorates, a lot of people with PhDs and, you know, professors. And I'd grown up with them, I'd known them all my life. And they didn't seem so smart. As a matter of fact, a lot of times they seemed pretty stupid. It seemed as if they leaned on their own understanding and did not trust the Lord and were wise in their own eyes. And it seemed like God didn't bless them. Yeah, I've been their pastor. And so on the one hand, I had the east side of Bloomington, okay, you all with me, where I lived, and where we were going to build this church, and on the other hand, (laughs) way on the west side, I mean, 50 minutes on the west side of Bloomington, you had Mike Bowles, And I tried my darndest to feel superior to him and condemn him. Everything in my background called me to condemn him. You know, what is the point of living in Boulder and San Diego and Wheaton and Madison and now Bloomington if you don't condemn Owen County? But as I listened to Mike, I began to think about my own life. And I began to think, what is it that Mike is doing that's so wrong? And I began to realize what Mike was doing was he was protecting the shame of sodomy. And it wasn't because he looked down on sodomites. It was because he actually loved them. He saw himself in them. And then I realized that Mike was like me, that Mike knew that shame was a gift from God and that we ought to protect it even though the entire civilized world was trying to shut it down. And then I look back at the sins I've repented of and I realize the critical place shame had had in my repenting. I can remember sins, and I've told you this before, where as I would think about the sin, it would cause such horror in me that I would... I would let out exclamations of horror that I could not hold in. I had to just let the shame out of my mouth. I can remember screaming in agony over my sin and pleading with God to forgive me and keep me from ever doing it again. And here's Mike helping me. Here's Mike speaking as if that's the way God makes a Christian. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I realized that Mike is determined to walk the straight and narrow path. And I thought, what kind of pastor would be embarrassed of Mike Bowles? Mike Bowles is my glory. And then I looked at people like Rita Cuffey. You talk about a fully integrated person. Her path was straight and narrow. And then I thought about people like Rachel. And I thought about Ginger. I thought about Linda. Not many among us are wise in the world's eyes. Not many are rich. Not many have doctorates. Because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He, is, he has chosen the things that are not to confound the things that are. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And so Friday night, with David Mack standing there in the dark between the vehicles, I said to Mike, Mike, I said, do you realize that you are my inspiration for, for the book The Grace of Shame? I never understood what a gift shame was until I knew you. And of course, Mike starts talking about iterus rates and prime or something, I don't know. He just starts blabbing, trying to take the focus off himself. So it's very hard to express your gratitude to a man like Mike. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your paths straight. And do you know up in Wisconsin, I had cowered in front of feminism and so I had women elders, and I ordained them, and I worked with women pastors, and, you know, I was sophisticated. And then along came Mike Bowles and his wife. I mean, honestly, I, <laughs> that's what Don and Evelyn and Jared are. And, and they sat me down with Mary Lee for, for dinner on a dairy farm, which is lunch. But it'd be like dinner. And we get done, and Don doesn't come to church hardly at all. And his wife is an elder, and we get done lunch, and Don looks at me, and, and 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 his wife says, "Dad, you know she calls him Dad. Dad, did you have something you wanted to ask the Reverend?" And Don looks at me, and he says, mm-hmm. "You know, Don's one of these guys that most of what he says is inarticulate." <laughs> we were wondering. No, no, I was wondering. What do you think of women elders? Oh, please. I thought we were having dinner, lunch, dinner. And I just remember sitting there depressed and quiet. And then I said to him, well, Don, of all the questions you could possibly have asked me, that's the one I'd least like you to ask me. And it was still quiet. He'd asked his question. His job was over. And Evelyn, she will not going to open her mouth. So I came out with all this blabber stuff about how, you know, well, uh, in Scripture some things are clearer than other things. And in Scripture it's very clear the husband's the head of the home. But it's not as clear that women shouldn't be pastors and elders. Lying through my teeth. And then I began to ask him whether he maybe beat his wife and was abusive to her. Because as I saw it in my world-weary, sophisticated nature, you know, being wise in my own eyes, the only kind of man that would ever ask that kind of question with his elder wife sitting at the table would be a man that was very insecure. And probably he abused her. Probably this was all about his own ego, you know. And the more questions I asked, I mean, it didn't come right out and say, do you beat Evelyn? It was obvious she wasn't beat, you know. Uh, The more questions I asked, the more it seemed to me they had a very good marriage. (laughs) Well, that didn't fit my presuppositions, you know. And so uh, being wise in my own eyes and leaning on my own understanding, I probed for other things, and I finally, we got out of there. So then about three weeks later they ask us back and we sit down to lunch dinner and after the meal's over, Evelyn looks at Don and says, Dad, did you have something you wanted to ask the reverend? And he says, yeah, well, what, what would you think about uh, Evelyn resigning? Oh, please. Many of you have heard this story before, but some of you haven't. Oh, please, please. Please, you know, at this point, I pleaded with them. Do you know who I'm going to get if she resigns? I have to have a women elders to match the number of women in our congregation. It was constitutionally required in the polity of the Presbyterian Church USA that you had females in proportion to the number of females in the church, right? And so there was no question we had to have women elders. And I said, Ellen, if you're not the woman elder, do you know who I'm going to get? And so I pleaded with them, don't do this to me. You know, don't. And so two weeks later, we had an elders meeting. At the end of the meeting, Evelyn said, I have something I would like to say. What is that, Evelyn? She says, I am resigning as of tonight. And so we went through the paroxysms of getting another woman elder. And at the end, I drove her to the first meeting because she was about 80, and when we got home, I pulled in her driveway, it was probably about 10 at night, and she said, Timothy, you know, <laughs> she couldn't have been more opposite than Evelyn. She says, Timothy, you know, as if she's summoning, Timothy, I have something to say to you. Oh, man. go ahead. And she said, I want you to know that you and I will be at odds with each other because you believe the Bible is the word of God and I believe it's the words of men. It's a direct quote. Good night. And so I pleaded with Evelyn to not leave to not resign. I pleaded with Dawn not to make her resign because I was wise in my own eyes. And I didn't fear the Lord. I feared the denominational authorities and I feared the consequences. And sure enough, I, my fears were borne out. That was what happened with the new elder. And it got worse with her. You know, one of the first meetings she came, I've told you the story, but she came with page after page of, of red ink on legal pad showing and when she got done showing all the red this little church was going into she said to me timothy if you keep preaching the way you're preaching she said this church is going to go bankrupt both churches i had people come to me and tell me if i kept preaching the way i was going to get i was preaching the church was going to go bankrupt but the man said we will not pay you anymore that was the town church And if you want to know how that story ended, read the next book, uh, which any day will be released, and it's called Church Reformed. And you'll hear the rest of the story, which is a wonderful end. Evelyn, at that lunch, said that she didn't want to resign, but felt she should, because she felt her, her husband's objections were proper. She said, I don't want to resign because I love the church and I want to serve her. And I'm so afraid that if I resign, I will not be allowed to serve the church anymore. And so this is what happened. Evelyn resigned, and her mother, who lived about 45 minutes south, had to have a leg amputated due to diabetes, And so her mother moved up and in with Don and Evelyn. And her mother had terrible phantom pain. And so Evelyn had to move out of her bedroom with her husband and sleep in a small bed in the living room next to the hospital bed that her mother was in because her mother needed her help constantly. And her mother was in such bad shape that, her, that Evelyn was not able to come to the women's Bible studies. And she was not able to come to Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship. And so what did God do? Remember, Evelyn was fearful that she would never be able to serve the church again. And now she's stuck at home. I remember talking during morning and evening worship. Evelyn isn't here. We'd pray for her. And then God gave Evelyn this idea. And the idea was that these young mothers really needed somebody to help them with their children. And she was at home, and she had a big house, And so she invited those young mothers to come and drop their children off when they went to the women's Bible study. And so all the young mothers of that church were pollinated, germinated, by the godliness of Evelyn Jared. And her leadership and authority in that church exploded beyond anything she'd had as an elder. Because they all saw her separate sleeping arrangements from her husband at the beck and call of her mother and not an ounce of bitterness, but joy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And so guess what? I went to work for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. <laughs> Why? We, tr- we transferred because of her husband's leadership Well, I didn't tell you, her husband started going to church. Why? I've never asked him, but I'm absolutely certain it was because he finally had a pastor who told him he could submit to Scripture, and that he didn't have to disobey it. And that Scripture meant what you thought it meant before you ever listened to any pastor. And do you know what? He became the clerk of session. He's the one that led the reform of that church. Oh, there were many godly people in the church that helped. But Don took a stand, and he was the one more respected than anybody in that church in the neighborhood. And do you know that when the denomination tried to put pressure on us, Don said, you know what, if I'm giving money for the building of a new church, we had to build a new church. He said, I'm not giving it if our church is in the PCUSA. So we went in the PCA. And when we went in the PCA, they examined me for transfer into their denomination. And the one question they asked me that I remember, they asked me a bunch of questions, but they said to me, what do you think of women officers? And you know what I said? Quote, I have done it. I repent, period, close quote. And do you know they didn't ask any (laughs) follow-ups? That's how Christians repent. That's how we believe. That's how we walk by faith. So anyhow, Don became the cornerstone in that church of its reform. And that church to this day, it has problems just like we do. But it's in a town of 1500 that's owned by the Lutherans. And it has 200 people. A PCA church in the north in a town of 1500. And so what did I do? Well, I became executive director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. You know, moi, me. You know, I mean, it's absurd. You know, I'm a coward here, I'm a coward there, here a coward there, a coward everywhere, a coward, coward. Old oh, <laughs> Tim Bailey had churches, E-I-E-I-O, on those churches where Donna, Donna and Evelyn and Mike and Lisa, E-I-E-I-O with a repentance here and a repentance there, here a repentance, everywhere everywhere repentance, repentance. When I first entered the ministry, there was a synod of the laity held in New York City. And the New York Times reported that there were a bunch of uh, a bunch of talks focused on how to bring men into the church because there were no men in the Roman Catholic churches. Okay? And I have a quote on my computer that I wrote down by hand. An unnamed bishop at the conference, the New York Times reported as saying, the people must convert their priests. And so, simple people who fear God and do not lean on their own understanding, obey Scripture, and they convert their pastor. And that's the story of my life. Do you all get this? And so, who do you trust? (laughs) Who do you trust? Come on. Who do you trust? Do you trust God or do you trust social media? Do you trust God or do you trust the cultural arbiters? Do you trust God or you trust Tim Keller? Who do you allow to re-voice you? God? or the MLA style guide? Who are you afraid of, God or your children? God or your wife? God or your mother-in-law? And I'm going to say it, God or your pastor. You should never be afraid of your pastor unless fearing him is fearing God. And you should pray that God will give you a pastor that those things are coterminous. <laughs> now, there once was a leader that those things were coterminous. And that leader's name was Moses. To follow Moses almost always was to follow God, and to follow God was to follow Moses, and that's the way God set it up. It was not authoritarianism, and it certainly wasn't a cult, although the, the Egyptians might have viewed it that way. They'd had a bad attitude towards God's people from the very beginning because they were shepherds. That's why they sent them out to Goshen. You know, the Egyptians couldn't stand shepherds, you know, and so they got to go to Goshen. The Bible says what, Ellie, about Moses? Oh, no, don't talk to your mother. You give me your attention. What does the Bible say about Moses? It says Moses was what? Ah, you don't know, do you? Meh. That's not the answer. Don't worry, none of the high school kids got it. Okay, any children, Moses was what? What does God say about Moses? Uh, Oh, there's a hand. Oh, come on. Somebody other than a grandchild of mine. (laughs) I'll come back to you, but is there anybody else that knows a child? Go ahead. Oh, beep. <laughs> Every child deserves the right to be wrong. That's wrong. He, he is great, but that's not what it says. Free? Oh, afraid. Uh, yeah, with his sons in a certain sacrament, he was afraid. <laughs> okay. Any child? All right, Daniel. That's what Jonathan said. And so you're beginning to make me doubt myself. <laughs> they both said humble. Well, he was humble. We all agree he was humble. What, what, David, correct me. I think it's meek. So does it depend on the translation? Does it really? Well... You're still wrong because you didn't say what I wanted you to say. (laughs) What did you say? Yeah, guess what Bop is thinking. So the other night, Mary Lee and I were thinking, we've done a lot of marriage counseling recently, and Mary Lee and I were thinking about the relationships of famous men in Scripture with their wives. And so we got talking about Moses and his wife. We know almost nothing about Moses' wife. We know more about her father than we know about her. Right? But it got us thinking about Moses. The humblest or meekest man who ever lived. And I I said to Mary Lee, you know, I used to think that the person I'd most like to meet in heaven is the Apostle Paul because of his love for the church. But, you know, I think I'd like to meet Moses because the abuse that Moses took from the sons of Israel was mind-boggling. And he didn't just take it. Several times God said, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start over again with you. And do you know what Moses said? He said, no, God, because the Egyptians know that your name resides with the sons of Israel, and if you wipe them out, everybody's going to just think that you weren't able to protect them. Remember, God said, I'll wipe them out and I'll start over with you, and, and they were oppressing Moses. Moses had every reason— to be sitting under his juniper tree or to be shooting them. But Moses said, No, God, don't do this. It'll hurt your reputation. He didn't even think about himself. He didn't say, Oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, my humble eminence is not worthy of such favor from your great divinity. That's how they'd say it on Facebook. And you know that there's not an ounce of humility in them. So again, I want to remind you what our text says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So that's a positive can command, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So you remember that God told the Israelites he was going to take them into the promised land. And you remember that the Bible says they'd be down there 400 years, you remember that the Bible says that when they're to go into the promised land, they're to utterly destroy the Canaanites. Utterly destroy them, their cattle, their houses, their families, everything, right? And you remember that... as they come to the edge of the promised land, and you remember they're constantly rebelling against Moses against God as they travel to the promised land. It's just relentless. And then they get to the edge of the promised land, and they send spies into the land, and those spies are are supposed to check it out, see what it's like, see what its armaments, see what its soldiers, see what its produce, check it out, you know? You go on Airbnb and look at the house, Right? You know, you go on TripAdvisor and see if they have good restaurants. Check it out. So they go out, and they check it out, and they come back, and you remember what they report? They report, there are giants in the land. We can't have you resign as an elder, you know? You can't talk about homosexuals that way. There are giants in the land. And we have to present ourselves as a church to the community in a sophisticated way, showing our urbanity, showing that that we are evolved, that we speak uh, thusly. There are giants in the land. But two of them, you remember the names, Ellie? Come on, don't look at your mother. Not bad for a white girl. Well done. (laughs) Caleb and Joshua are the two spies who say, don't be afraid, fear God, and he'll whoop up on them. They'll be our prey, P-R-E-Y. Now, we pick up the story. So you see what's going on. On the one hand, you have leaning on your own understanding. On the other hand, you have trust the Lord with all your heart. On the one hand, you have be wise in your own eyes. On the other hand, you have fear of the Lord. Okay? And we pick up the story in Numbers 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried... And the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel, rumble, rumble. Come on, uh, where's Jeff Moore when I need him? Yep, 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 yep. Come on, let's hear it. murmur, murmur. Where's Jeff? Is he here? Huh? Oh, that's too bad. He does this all the time in the elders' meeting. He's sitting in the back, he'll go murmur, 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 murmur. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, "What that we had died in the wilderness, in the land of Egypt, or what that we had died in this wilderness? Why oh, is the Lord bringing us into this land? of all by the sword, our wives and our little ones will become there. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. (coughs) They have Moses. And they say, let us appoint a leader. That's what all the churches said about the Apostle Paul, you know. Let us appoint a leader, you know. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh. And of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, Then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then what happens? What happens? They are falling on their faces in front of the congregation. Moses and Aaron. And the spies are saying, don't fear them. You guys, don't do this, right? And so God's people, God's people say this. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. (laughs) Does this resemble you? Come on, be honest. This resembles me, you know? And then, what a great statement. Then, the what? The glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Now, watch what happens. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier. call it a comeuppance, but that would trivialize it. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought us up this people from your midst, from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye, while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, Because the Lord could not bring this people into the land, which he promised them by oath. Therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. You're wondering about whether to go to the Lord's table? From Egypt till now. The loving kindness of the Lord, because of it, we're not consumed. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they're making against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Nothing about Barrow. The corpses will fall. Even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb the son of Jehunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Now, watch this. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. So who is their father? Huh? Who is their father? Their father or God? But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until uh, what? Your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days for every day, you shall bear your guilty year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. Now listen to this. I, the Lord, have spoken. I do wish that our children and wives could occasionally hear that godly statement from their fathers and husbands. Not out of emotional abuse, not out of irritation, but the dignity of God residing in Moses at this moment. They're going to stone Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Aaron. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil generation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, we're not done yet. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, Even those men who brought out a very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. Okay, you all have it in your mind now, right? Trust, come on, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Jeremy, Brandon, do not be wise in your own eyes. If there was one thing that everybody reported to me when Brandon Chastain first moved here, you know what it was? This dude is brilliant. Remember that? Do what? Do what? Do not be wise in your own eyes, and I have to cheat. Fear. Come on, fear the Lord and... Turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. Okay? Listen, there's nothing wrong with us being taught and led to repentance by Mike Bowles. It's our glory. Wherever the fear of God leads you, that's the straight path. Okay? Okay? Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Father, thank you for Mike and Don and Evelyn and Lisa. Thank you for Rita. We thank you for all of the simple ones that down through history have been the tools of your Holy Spirit, leading all of us to repentance. And we pray, Father, that we will trust you and that we will not lean on our own understanding. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.